Welcome, everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover The Eyes of the Dragon, sections 1 through 27. Let's start the show! We are introduced to the royal family of Delane, Roland the Good, the king, his wife Sasha, and his sons Peter and Thomas. His wife Sasha died during Thomas's birth. Roland is advised by Flag, a magician, who doesn't have the best interests of the kingdom at heart. Flag is concerned that Peter, who has shown great promise as a prince, will be a powerful king that won't be easily influenced once Roland dies. Flag conspires to kill Sasha and plots to poison Roland and ensure that Peter takes the blame. Jay, we're in another new book that is Dark Tower adjacent. And as we often do with our new books, we like to give a little bit of context about the publication history of the book and where it fits into the larger Stephen King oeuvre. And The Eyes of the Dragon was uh, famously written for King's 13-year-old daughter, Naomi, who had not read any of her father's books. And she made it clear that although Naomi loved him, um, she had very little interest in vampires, ghoulies, and slushy crawling things. And so he decided, and I'm taking this from the dust cover of the book, he sat down one night in our Western main house to start this story, then called The Napkins. And eventually the tale was told, and Naomi took hold of the finished manuscript with a marked lack of enthusiasm. That look gradually changed to one of rapt interest as the story kidnapped her. It was good to have her come to me later and give me a hug and tell me the only thing wrong with it was that she didn't want it to end. That, my friends, is a writer's favorite song. And as with a lot of King's stuff, it eventually went from something that only a few people had seen to a much larger audience, uh, much like The Gunslinger. It was published independently in a small run, uh, this time by Filtrum Press in 1984. Um, and I think much like The Gunslinger, it got found out that, hey, there's this book out here. How do we make it available to a larger audience? Because we know it'll sell. And it was published for the mass market by Viking in 1987. And the book contains illustrations by David Palladini, an artist who just died last year. And as you can expect, probably, if you've read the first part of this novel, it is quite a different book from most of King's books um, in it, that it's not straight up horror. And I think that that disappointed a lot of his fans. Yeah, it's definitely not horror at all. This is a straight up fantasy story. Yeah. And it's interesting, like we're covering this book because uh, it's Dark Tower adjacent, but this is about as directly connected to the Dark Tower as you can get without being a Dark Tower book. This is almost as close to the whole rest of this, the eight book series as Wind Through the Keyhole and shares a lot of characteristics of that book. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be making more comparisons to that as we cover it through all of the episodes where we cover The Eyes of the Dragon. Yeah, so this came out in 1987, but it was originally published in 84, which was the same time that both The Talisman and Thinner came out, although Thinner would have been a Bachman book. Is that correct? It was a Bachman book, but yeah. I don't remember if King had been... If fans yet. had figured out who he was yet. Yeah, so um, you could see why... Maybe people were disappointed. I think people felt somewhat the same way about The Dark Tower when it came out. Like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't like King's other stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe not initially as well received. 
Uh, reportedly, this is in development at Hulu as a TV series, but a lot of things by King are in development at any given time. So uh, that article about that came out about a year ago, and I have not heard or seen anything more of that. And as we're recording this, information just came out about a week ago that the Dark Tower series that was planned by Amazon has not gone to series and won't be shown. So um, like all things in Hollywood, there are constantly ups and downs. So whether or not we'll ever see this is beyond my guess. Yep. It would be interesting if done by talented people, but we've all seen how things can go if not the right people are are adapting something. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. I think all of King's television adaptations have been fantastic. Television? Television and movies. They've all been great. <laughs> yeah, not one bad one. <laughs> Nary a bad moment amongst them. Indeed. All right. So let's start off by talking a little bit about the tone and style of this book. As I mentioned in the Dust Jacket review, he wrote this for his 13-year-old daughter. So to some extent, it is a fairy tale that's written for kids. But within the first couple of chapters, we're introduced to a lot of adult themes, mm -hmm. sex, murder, all that fun stuff. Uh, I think, if anything, this is King realizing he can't shelter his daughter from this stuff. So he's not going to. Uh, he might lighten the tone of the narrator and maybe obfuscate to some extent some of what's going on but other times it's quite open and out front that hey these people are having sex and king roland needs a potion to maintain an erection with his wife who we might not be attracted to do you think king just like occasionally fell into the habit of just writing in his normal voice and then after he'd written a whole section on like you know, the king not being able to get an erection without a magic potion. And you're just like, wait, I'm writing this for my 13-year-old daughter. <laughs> Let me uh, simplify this section a little bit, but I'm not going to completely remove it from the story. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how he approaches that if he just writes normal and then goes back and revise it. Or what I sort of imagine is he's a smart enough and good enough writer to just easily slip into the right voice and tone that he wants to, maybe. Yeah. And maybe he's just a forward-thinking, pragmatic father, and he's like, these are things that happen in the world, and you know, there's no reason to avoid those things just because he's writing it for his daughter. As a father of teen daughters, I can tell you, they know a lot more than I thought they knew or wanted them to know. Exactly. Yeah, he probably said, you know what, I'm writing this for my 13-year-old daughter, and there's nothing that this book is exposing her to that she doesn't already know. Yep. So the other thing about the style of this book is that it's very clearly being told by a narrator. To me, it has that feeling of The Princess Bride almost. If you've, yeah. ever, if you've ever seen the movie and the movie hues fairly closely to the book, I mean, there is a narrator who is telling a story and you get that loud and clear here. Like, we know that it's someone doing it. And I would love to listen to the audiobook of this because I think it would be fantastic to hear somebody telling the story as if it's somebody sitting next to the bed of a 13-year-old girl and reading the story to them. Yeah, all the asides, like when the narrative sort of abruptly stops and says, now, don't worry, this isn't happening the way you think it's happening, yeah. or it's not as bad as it seems. Just hold on a little longer. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very much Princess Bride, you know, just like, now, you understand, Wesley doesn't die at this point, right? And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about, Grandpa? You know, yeah. like, it's exactly like that. 
I know you're thinking that Thomas is a bad boy and that he's evil, but he really isn't. He's just sort of got problems. And yeah, so uh, I personally love that narration style. I just think that metafiction around it that we've talked about before, it works really well for me here when we're telling an obvious fairy tale that it's going to sound like somebody's telling it because that's how those stories were meant to be told and related and it is similar to win through the keyhole in that effect where it's stories about stories Mm -hmm. and you have to give king props for his choices here in terms of the the way that he's handling how this narrator operates and how deliberate he's being he's making conscious choices at, at every step of the way to cater to his audience but not talk down to mm. them and he's also doing it in a way that the story can and the structure and style can still appeal to an adult audience um for myself it does kind of ring as a little bit simplistic but i also recognize this as as a fairy tale that fairy tales tend to be simple and direct and more on the nose with the points that they're making than a more complex or more intricate story might be. Yeah. And the fact that I know that King can be more complex and intricate and subtle, the fact that he's being deliberately not that way tells me that this is just more evidence of his mastery of the craft. It's like, oh, you want a fairy tale? I'll give you a fairy tale. It'll be a great fairy tale. Let me, let me write this fairy tale for you. Right. No problem. Right. And it's spot on for that purpose, for that audience, for that structure. Right. It's not complex in the story. It's a fairly straightforward story so far that what we've seen, right? Mm-hmm. There seems to be a family and good guys and bad guys, and there's no real B story. Like, yeah, the main narrative is the main narrative. We're not going to have 15 different Game of Thrones storylines that all come together at some point. It seems like, nope, this is the story you're getting. Um, he does do some interesting things with the timeline. Mm-hmm how he jumps back and forth between like, oh, we know that Peter's imprisoned in the needle, but we don't know why and what caused that. And we're, we know Roland's going to die, but here he's still alive. And Sasha's dead, but let's talk about her backstory and her birth. So there is some jumping around from a time perspective to make it a little more complex, but the story itself is not. I agree. And that complexity could could fall apart in a lesser writer's hands, but King makes it all click together in a way that I'm never confused about when we're talking about or who we're talking about or just the overall through line of his narrative. Um, But it is kind of all over the place, but he does skip all over the place in a way that is easy to follow. Right. So he's doing a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about the characters because this first section and a little bit of behind the scenes is when we broke up this book, we really broke it up by page count. We wanted to divide it up into sections that made sense from a reading perspective. And it just so happened that I seem to have cut us off at a good point where this first quarter of the book is all about introducing the different players. So we have the four members of the family, King Roland, his wife, their two kids, and then that fifth member. And the narrator actually calls that out as a good example of, Mm -hmm. oh, there's one other person I need to introduce you to, isn't there? And that, of course, is Flag, who um, as I'm sure we'll talk about in the thinnies, is obviously a a big Dark Tower thinny to not only the Dark Tower, but other King works. And so all these characters are out there, and we get, continuing that idea of simple and complex, very simplistic characters in some ways, 
hey, he's a good king, but he's not a great king. And hey, here's the firstborn son, and he's really, really good. And here's the secondborn son, and he's jealous and not so good. And the wife is a sweetheart and a saint and has to put up with her oafish king. But unfortunately, she dies and isn't everybody sad about that. Um, So the characters themselves don't seem too complex, but King does imbue them with a lot of other characteristics that we find out about in very subtle ways throughout the narrative. Like he doesn't just tell us like, this kid is bad. We see like, oh, he feels bad because of the way his father treats him and Peter's a good king because, or a good prince because of how he stands up to the, to the stable master and he treats him with kindness, but is firm and wants to take care of the horse. So we get all these little stories to imbue these characters with more characteristics than just the king or the prince. So as King does this very direct job of introducing us to all of the main characters and going almost as far as saying, and now let me tell you about the bad guy and then... <laughs> introduce his flag um along the way as we learn more and more about king roland and his son thomas the younger prince i kept wondering what is king going for here in terms of what is what does he want us to think of these characters sometimes he's telling us that both thomas and roland are they're not thinkers they're not deep thinkers they mm-hmm. they struggle with things like planning and mathematics and things like that but Roland is a superb hunter, uh, and Thomas is also very good at hunting and using the bow and arrow and things like that. Yeah, he's very good with the bow and arrow and hunting, yeah. But I kept wondering, like, I think King was looking for, like, a middle ground. Like, they're not exceptional people in the way that Sasha and Peter are, because King is elevating them to almost a point of impossibility. Like, these are, these are you know, just perfect people in every way. They're fairy tale perfect, right? Mm. So he's giving us somebody who's more realistically good or 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 decent, but not perfect. But I feel like he was a, he was inconsistent in his descriptions. Like, am I supposed to think that King Roland is just not smart, or is he just not talented at certain things? And I I, I don't think he's like a stupid or foolish person. I just wonder what's with all the fixation on like, I can't do math. And like, when I think too hard, it feels like boulders rolling around in my head. And like, well, to me, that seems like he can't do a lot of important things that a king needs to do. Like far too many of the things that a king would need to do would be outside, beyond his grasp. Mm. And so I don't accept the fact that he is that limited and still revered as anything of a quality king by the people who are around him. So I just, I, I struggled with what appeared to be an inconsistency. What, what was your thought on that? Yeah, I didn't think of it too much like that. I, I thought that King was trying to show that these characters were well-rounded and that they're interesting because when you're a perfect character like Peter or Sasha, you're not quite as interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's those two characters, Roland and Thomas, that King really puts us inside their heads more than we do Peter. When we see Peter's big moment, um, standing up to the stable master about the injured horse, we don't really get it from Peter's perspective. We get it from the stable master's perspective. Yeah. Like he's the one who says, this is what I hear. Here's what I'm thinking. And I'm going to tell the story to everybody. 
And same with Sasha. We get a lot of stuff from outside of her perspective. But with Roland and Thomas, we're in their heads a lot. So I think because of that, they can be a little bit more inconsistent because they're showing a, a public face that's different from their private face, and we see more of their innermost thoughts. At the same time, King's, I think, making a bigger point about Flag's purpose, which is to slowly run down a kingdom mm-hmm. and, and cause chaos, and then he'll leave and the kingdom will build up and he'll cause chaos again. And, and that's sort of the cycle that these kingdoms go through from Flag's perspective. And we're on that downward swing, right? Yeah. So we can see that Roland is considered a good king, but from our perspective, he really isn't. And he's easily swayed by Flag. And Flag wants to put Thomas on the crown because he's even worse than Roland and would be even more easily swayed. So I think a lot of that is just set up as well. Yeah. And Flag sees Sasha first and then later Peter as the biggest obstacles to his goals because of how, you know, ideal they are as people. Um, Sasha was Roland's closest and most trusted advisor, and she was smart and kind. So she's a problem for Flag's plans, right? And so he gets rid of Sasha. And then same deal. Well, clearly Peter's going to inherit the throne, and he's a, a smart and thoughtful and caring kind prince. He will be all those things and more as king. Got to get him out of the way. So it's kind of like flags. Like I always want to go to the weaker or or lesser person to be in charge so that I can lead the uh, the kingdom towards entropy, right? And now it's like, well, okay, of Roland's two sons, his two heirs, I'm going to go with Thomas because he's the, he's the one who, now uh, he's not evil, we're told by the narrator, but he does kill a dog to make himself <laughs> feel better. Yeah, they they need to put that on does the dog die website, right? <laughs> That's the website for people who don't want to see movies where animals get killed. Like there should be like a big spoiler warning at the beginning of this book. A dog gets killed. Oh, like Mad Max is on top of the list. Yeah. Spoilers for Mad Max. Probably John Wick too, because that's what propels the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of dogs, <laughs> how's that for a segue? Um, one of the lessons, and maybe the most profound lesson that Peter gets from Sasha when he's still quite young, is the relationship between God and dog. This is Sasha's lesson of the two faces of what people can be. Mm-hmm. They can be godlike, and that's all of the positive aspects of human nature, or they can be like a dog and these are all of the lesser bad aspects of human nature and she does make the finer point about the dog side of our nature is that it's not necessarily intentionally evil like with a capital e it's it's more of just like if you're allowing the dog side of your nature to rule the day you're probably doing things that hurt other people thoughtlessly by Mm. accident you're still hurting people. There are still negative consequences to your actions or your inaction, but you didn't set out to cause that pain. You didn't set out to cause those problems. But she makes that point to highlight the fact that there's also the capital E evil. And that's when people intentionally plan to cause problems, cause pain, cause hurt. And she doesn't necessarily know this or say this about flag, but that's what flag is. Yeah, And flag is more one-dimensionally that in this book than he is in other appearances in the King universe, but he is definitely the most singular representation of 
Sasha's capital E evil that she's warning Peter against. But she's really telling him to not be small e evil because when he becomes the king, he can hurt a lot of people just through negligence right. or accidents. And she tells him this story at the same time that she's teaching him a lesson about using napkins, which is where mm-hmm. the original title of this book came from. Yeah. Right. Because she's saying, you know, they were at a big feast and she saw all these other people, you know, just she says, Peter, I saw you wipe your hand on your tunic. And you should have used a napkin. And he's like, well, everyone else is doing it. And she's like, yeah, but it's different because you're going to be king someday. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't need to be like everybody else. You could set an example. Um, and I think that that gets, that's the little point that she broadens out into this bigger point about God and dog, that those little things that you do have a ripple effect throughout the kingdom. And so do the right thing from the get-go and you'll be safe. Another really big theme of this book, especially in this first part that we've read, is courage and how that connects to love for one's family and doing what's right and things like that, where one of the ways that both Sasha and Peter are shown to be exemplars of fairy tale perfection is that they are courageous, that they are willing to stand up for what they think is the right thing. And the biggest example of that, the most obvious example is, as you mentioned earlier, when Peter stands up to the the stable master and insists that he will care for and and heal this horse with the broken leg. And of course, everything works out splendidly for Peter here. Not only does he fix the horse, so it's like this is the save the cat moment for the character, right? Right. (laughs) If we didn't already know that Peter was just awesome, now he's like preventing a horse from being euthanized because it has a broken leg, but he wins the respect of all those around him. The very people who would be his his direct subjects within the, the castle grounds when he becomes king. So he's making great strides towards being a very influential king and a well-loved and respected king. These are all great things to have and not every king can achieve them. Whereas at every turn, it seems that Thomas just longs for this type of relationship with other people, mm. but is never able to achieve it. Maybe the closest he comes is with Flag, but he's always equal parts fearful of Flag as he is maybe sees a kindred spirit in some ways. Yeah, and Flag obviously is just using him. Oh, yeah. Has no affection for him whatsoever. It's just, it it is a total transactional relationship for him. And yet we're, we're sort of left on this cliffhanger that perhaps... Peter's salvation is going to lie in Thomas in some way, because this section ends with Thomas witnessing Flag as the murderer of his father. Mm -hmm. And so he's the one shining hope we have that maybe this is all going to turn all all right in the end. Um, So I think that that, to your point, is going to be the the fulcrum of the story. Like, is he going to do what's right? Is he going to do what's right for him or what's right for his family and, and what is ultimately good? Or is he even going to be courageous enough to consider the right thing? Right. Because it might cost him something if he were to do that. And thus far, we haven't seen Thomas exhibiting much courage. No, no. And as King says, to some extent, he's being dealt a bad hand when he spends all that time carving the boat that he gives to his father. He just so happens to do it on the day that his brother wins a bow and arrow tournament. And it's like, oh, this is totally the worst timing that you could have had. And and the king's like what is this a canoe <laughs> looks like a dog turned to me 
another thing that's kind of foundational or maybe just sort of in, in the background of a lot of things that happen in this first section of the book seems to be King's fear of the ignorance of those who exercise power. Hmm. Like the way King constructs this fairy tale kingdom and maybe his thoughts about the real world, the idea of somebody being in charge of having supreme power like a king would in this fantasy story and that king being a fool or being ignorant or just being incompetent in some way or or maybe many ways is more frightening than the evil that flag the character represents here and i think he's maybe trying to weave this in either subconsciously or quite deliberately i king could be doing both um that putting the wrong person in charge can be so much more detrimental to the survival of the society than a lot of evil people doing a lot of random evil things. Because if you steer the ship into the rocks, the whole thing goes down. Right. And that's a lot of what he's talking about, where there have been good kings and bad kings, and this king is a mediocre king, and we're all lined up for having an awesome king, the, the best king ever, and now Flag is working his evil and looks like that's not going to happen or at least not it's not going to go according to what everybody assumes will happen right and we talked before about how sasha sees this Mm -hmm. and it is just flags bad luck because king roland is not really interested in women or or marrying but they realize well you need to marry somebody so they gather up six women and say hey just choose one of these and he chooses Sasha because she's the quietest and the shyest, and he figures, I can handle that. But it turns out that Sasha does have that inner good and realizes this. And that's why she's teaching those lessons to Peter, because even though she's not of royal stock, she is able to see that is the problem with, with that ignorance that you're talking about, that, that it causes those ripples. And so that's why Peter has to be above that. Yeah. It's just like flag to bring the king binders full of women. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's a good thing that this is just a fairy tale and isn't really relevant to our society in any way whatsoever. No. I mean, that's what I tell myself every day. <laughs> well, Jay, I think it's time for our Dark Tower Thinnies. Oh, awesome. Let's get into some Thinnies. Okay, Jay, I just want to preface this with, in the past, we have had to sometimes struggle to find our Dark Tower Thinnies. Yes, they've been stretched very, very thin. <laughs> this book is just a giant thinny, like the whole book. It's just a big, giant thinny that you could walk right into and walk right out of. Just grab something off the page and chances are it's going to be Dark Tower related in some way. Not the least of which is our king is named Roland. Mm-hmm. There's a bad guy named Flag. It takes place in the kingdom of Delane, which is mentioned in the Dark Tower. The main female character is named Sasha, which is another S female name. I mean, these are just sort of face value, Dark Tower thinny. So we're probably going to have to restrain ourselves in some cases and not point out every single one because otherwise the show is going to be two and a half hours long. Yeah, I think rather than straining to find the thinnest of thinnies, maybe we'll keep it to the thickest of thinnies that uh, really stand out in some way or, or other. So if you don't mind, I just want to start because I think the one that maybe confused me the most was that Roland is not very much similar to our Roland in the Dark Tower at all. Like, Peter seems to be more of a Roland than Roland seems to be. Yeah. And so that threw me. And there might not be more to it than that, other than, hey, their names are the same. But it seemed like if King was at the top of his game, 
he would put the twinners together, right? Like the character that seems most like a gunslinger would probably be named Roland and the doofus would not be named Roland. Yeah, I agree with you there. Although naming Peter Roland, I don't know. I, I guess it would have worked just fine. Uh, and, and in fact, I think you and I would have seen that that echo or that that twinny. Tw- I'm sorry, that twinner. That thinny twinny. <laughs> that that thinny twinner twinner thinny twinny uh that twinner effect um it would be much more apparent and i think it would it would feel more correct um but uh, king wrote this story i guess in like 82 83 if it was first published in 84 yep so where was he in the dark tower cycle at this point like he'd only published the gunslinger, the gunslinger at this correct. so he had he had the the character of roland in his head but I don't think he'd even come close to the idea that that was part of a bigger thing. Right. So this is really the second time he's visited anything that sort of connected. Um, so it's interesting that he pulled flag into this, though, because he'd already written the stand at this point. Correct. So I think he knew and, you know, he obviously had the man in black known as flag and Walter in the gunslinger. So I think he had already set out to say there's going to be an ultimate bad guy, as it were, in my books, and mm-hmm. it's going to be this guy. Yeah. And maybe he shouldn't have named the King Roland and just left everybody else the way they were and just be okay. Yeah. Just, let's, let's not mess with the Roland name. That has too much meaning in the Dark Tower. It's too weighted of a name, but nevertheless, it works. Yeah. So what else have we got? There's a line that I want to quote. They welcomed him and rejoiced in him because he would be an intellectual like them. And they also welcomed him because, unlike them, he was a brave boy who might well grow into a lion-hearted king whose tale would be the stuff of legend. In him, they saw again the coming of the white, that ancient, resilient, yet humble force that has redeemed humankind again and again and again. Coming of the white, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of dark towery, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is totally King's, George Lucas's force, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. got he's got his good and bad, and his is the black and the white, and the white is represented by Roland and all that is good, and the black is represented by Flag, and we see this again and again between the stand and the Dark Tower, and now Eyes of the Dragon. Yeah. The first time I encountered the expression, the coming of the white, was in the stand, so that was King establishing this this polar direction that was opposite from whatever flag was doing and whatever powers he was trying to, if not follow, at least the chaos he was looking to create. Mm. So even if flag only represents chaos and randomness, the white represents order and, I don't know, peace or something like that. Right. And as we learn more about what those things represent and how they're represented in the Dark Tower, this becomes a fundamental force of good versus evil right. and here it is and and it is it's peter that we're talking about and that goes back to what you were saying a moment ago like why wasn't peter named roland to totally represent it yeah i mean he he is the agent of the white king roland is not and the other prince is not yeah and i mean we should also mention that king specifically talks about the white in salem's lot as well mm-hmm. yeah you know, before I was totally ensconced in this idea, one of the covers for The Stand always threw me. It's the one I refer to as the spy versus spy cover. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's sort of like these abstract black figure and white figure sort of facing off against each other. Um, 
And I was like, you know, in my limited, simple mind as a child, I was like, this isn't a really good representation of this story. Like, I want to see flu stuff or... I want to see Stu Redman waving. Yeah, or Mother Abigail and, and Flag and The Walking Dude and all that. But uh, as I'm further and further into the King universe, it just really stands out as that cover really represents what he's going for in a lot of what he's doing. It stands out, huh? I uh, see what he did there. Yeah. With the Agent of White and the Agent of Black, which is my Spy versus Spy reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, what else you got in the Dark Tower Thinnies, Jay? In this section of the book, there's a reference to making oneself dim. Um, Flag was kind of thinking to himself, invisibility was impossible, at least as far as he knew, but he knew that it was possible to make oneself dim. And the word dim has such a strong association with Flag. He was called Walter O. Dim yep. by some people in the Dark Tower stories. and. In Hearts in Atlantis, Carol Gerber starts to pal around with Flag for a little while, and she says that he taught her to be dim, and that's one of the ways that she has escaped the authorities during the 60s. So Flag is all about being dim. He's not invisible, but he knows how to not be noticed. And that is also a chief quality of all the low men, right? right? They don't necessarily use that word, but it's the same effect. It's just people just don't notice them there. Even though they stand out, right? Yeah. Like the low men drive these fancy cars and wear these ostentatious suits, mm -hmm. and yet nobody sees them. And Flag is, they, they talk about Flag walking down what I picture as these narrow corridors in the castle, and he's this hooded creature that people are rightfully afraid of because he's the king's advisor, and he sort of plays around with dark magic, and people are unsure of him. And yet he can walk down a hallway and the chambermaids sort of cringe and look the other direction and won't remember that they saw him, even though there's no way that you could not notice him. Yeah. In the illustrations, he's shown as like having these thick fur lined robes that flow <laughs> down past his feet to the ground. And he has quite a visible and visual presence, right? If, if he didn't want you to not notice him, it would be hard to miss him. Right. Uh, yeah, and especially in the cramped quarters of narrow castle hallways. Yet he manages it because he can be dim. Um, so another thinny that I thought was worth calling out here was at that particular tea time, a juggler had been performing for the amusement of the Dowager Queen and her court. He was juggling five cunningly made crystal balls. Just as the queen put the slice of lemon into her mouth, the juggler dropped one of his glass spheres it shattered on the tiled floor of the great East courtroom with a loud report. The Dowager Queen gasped at the sound. So when I saw this note about the juggler and his cunningly made crystal balls, I immediately thought of the wizard's rainbow, mm. right? And it doesn't say so, but I pictured them all being a different color. As he's juggling them. As he's juggling them. And one of them falls to the ground and breaks. And now he only has four of them. And maybe one of those is pink and it rolls around and finds a new owner and ends up with Rhea the Coos and causes all sorts of problems for folks. Yeah. Yeah. The the wizard rainbow, we're introduced to the pink one in Wizard and Glass, and it is used to sort of see into the future or at least see what's happening in other places. And Flag in this story seems to have a similar ability. He uses a scrying stone, it seems like. But he has some sort of magic that allows him to do that. But it's not specifically mentioned as the Wizard Rainbow. 
but it has similar powers, whatever his magic is that he's able to do that because he can yeah. see things that are happening elsewhere. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Isn't that how he witnesses Thomas kill the dog? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the type of thing that one of the wizards rainbow glass would show somebody. It's like, right. I'm going to show you somebody at the lowest point in their whole life. Yep. And prime for taking advantage of. Yeah, there you go. Good stuff. I'm sure we're going to find a lot more thinnies as we continue through this story. But no doubt. Found some really good ones to start off with. Uh, if you see your own, let us know. We want to take this moment to thank our patrons. You can support the show and get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes, by becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower to learn more. Well, Jay, in addition to our Dark Tower thinnies, we always like to talk about fun stuff. All right, let's do some fun stuff. You want to kick us off? We've determined that Flag is not a good person. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. One of the things that shows that he's not a good person is that he is a collector of every type of poison that you could imagine. Mm-hmm. He's just got shelves and shelves of potions and powders and plants that can do all sorts of things. And I love the alliteration that King gives us for the types of things that these poison can do, which are hammering headaches, screaming stomach cramps, detonations of diarrhea, exploding eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And that's preceded by the line of that this room of all of his poisons, everything is that this was Flag's chapel of screams in waiting, agony's antechamber, the foyer of fevers, the dressing room for death. That's good stuff. This is King both appealing to a young child who would love alliteration and love this type of stuff, and also to middle-aged men who like this type of humor as well. Yeah, I really like Agony's antechamber. Yeah, detonations of diarrhea is going to stay with me for a long time. (laughs) Or not stay with me, as it were. Just blow right through me. Way to keep the humor sophisticated, Sean. <laughs> Always take it to the next level. Uh, there's a, another fun line in here that Flag says as he's extracting the poison from the spider. He says, now die, my pretty, and kill a queen. So the first thing is, why does Flag crush and kill the spider to extract its poison? When it seems like all he needed to do, he, it, it, he says it's literally dripping with venom. Right. He has to hold it with a special enchanted glove and all this other stuff. Why kill the source of the poison? Why kill the golden goose? Right. When all he needs to do is hold it above the goblet until enough poison just drips out of it and then put it back in the little box where he kept it. And he's got more poison for another day. Right. You know, like you got to think ahead when you're when you're (laughs) raising spiders for their poison. Of course, we wouldn't get that cool visual, though, that they've got on the page of the illustration of the spider being crushed. Right. It'd be harder to show and illustrate milking the milking the little spider's venomous teeth. <laughs> Listener Sean right now is making little, like, cow milking motions with his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not how milking venom works. <laughs> but, okay. The little udders that the spider has. <laughs> it's little fang udders. <laughs> uh, 
And a secondary fun stuff for this same thing is that when Flag says, now die, my pretty, it immediately made me think of the Wicked Witch in Wizard of Oz. And so I'm like, is his next line going to be, and your little dog too? (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't. That would have been a little bit out of place, but it would have made me laugh. There you go. So one of the things that concerns both Flag and King Roland is that Peter, the heir to the throne, likes to play with a dollhouse. And this is a dollhouse that Roland had created for his queen, Sasha, because she had loved one when she was younger and didn't have it at the castle. And so he had his master craftsman build this beautiful dollhouse. And while she appreciates the sentiment, she doesn't play with it, but her son Peter does. And the way that Peter plays with it is that there's a family called King who lives there. Mm. Which is just that Stephen King metafiction of let's put let's let's talk about the King family who all live in this perfect little house. Uh huh. And I really dig how the dollhouse is functionally accurate in every detail to the point where this poor master craftsman who seems to be able to almost work magic with his creations drives himself half blind by the time he's done making it. And then we learn a little bit later in the story, he's almost completely blind. And King Roland's like, yeah, but maybe I'll still have him make me some stuff because I'm the king, right? Like <laughs> this, this poor guy, he's the most talented craftsman ever. And he's making a dollhouse that doesn't serve any practical function. It's just something fun or nice to have. And he's ruined his eyesight, which seems to be a key part of him making things that are, you know, elaborate, functional and, and, and useful. Um, so it, it's just like a king to say, yeah, I want you to waste the last bit of your <laughs> eyesight on this, this dollhouse. It'll be worth it. I will say this shows King Roland at his finest because Flag is advising him to be hard on Peter and say he can't play with that dollhouse. Mm-hmm. And Roland goes in and observes Peter playing with the dollhouse and see how he's playing with the figures and their little king family. and it sort of warms Roland's heart and he realizes, hey, the boy's having fun and he's playing with it in a way that is fine. Like, it's not anything that's going to make him less of a man. Well, that's Flag's excuse, right? Yeah. But this is Roland being courageous about his family. Yeah. Which we were a little concerned about. Like, Roland is still a good king to his family and he as as maybe a distant father as he could be when it comes to Thomas. He's not like that with Peter. Yeah, but... Maybe that's another example of the inconsistency, right? He's being told by his key advisor and wizard, tell your son he can't play with a dollhouse. And rather than just saying, yeah, it's a good point. I'm going to do that. He puts a lot of thought into it. He's very considerate. He thinks about himself at that age and what he would have done given that dollhouse. And he even fantasizes for a moment about sitting down with his son and the two of them playing with the dollhouse together as father and son, as king and prince, right? and as he snaps himself out of that reverie, he decides, no, I'm going to let him continue to play mm-hmm. with the dollhouse. And to your point, this is a very wise and good decision as a parent. And it goes against what the advisor has told him to do. Where was this guy? Where was this <laughs> king? Where was this father when he's saying, what is this, a canoe? All right. Now that you've blown the horn of Eld, I will uh, I'll move on to another fun stuff item. And it's a line when we've referenced this many times already, but when Peter stands up to the stable master, he says, Peter looked at him calmly. I mean what I say. 
and Yosef stopped laughing all at once. He looked at Peter closely and saw that the boy did indeed mean it. And to this, I'll just kind of echo what I've said earlier. King named the king Roland, but Peter is the gunslinger in this story. Mm. And I added this to fun stuff because this was one of those moments that when Peter, even as a boy, exhibited his, I guess, ancestral authority. Mm. However, you may perceive the divine right of kings, the, the, the royal bloodline as nonsense or not. In this world, in this universe, uh, being from the right family seems to have weight. And it's more than just what society deems. There's something there to being you know, of a certain family line. And here, this is Peter showing that he's not thinking about it. He's just acting with that authority that his, his bloodline grants him. Mm. And he's not saying, I am going to be king someday, so you got to listen to me. He's saying, you're going to listen to me. And that's all he needs to say. Yep. And this is something that Roland, the gunslinger, did many times throughout the Dark Tower books. And we saw it a lot in Wizard and Glass when Roland was not too much older than Peter is in the story. Or maybe they're actually about the same age. When this boy, gunslinger, would just suddenly just sort of stand up a little taller and speak with a slightly deeper voice and command everyone around him and they would listen. Right. And, and that's when his closest friends and his even the people who knew him best would sort of just kind of take a step back and catch their breath and say, oh yeah, that's right. This guy is a king. And Stephen King, the author, likes to pepper the story with that stuff to just keep reminding us, the reader, this character is important for a lot of reasons. Pay attention. Yeah. And he's doing the same thing here. And I really like that. It feels like a powerful moment. And that's why I have it in fun stuff. So as always, you have a poignant, well-crafted observation that I immediately undercut with something goofy. And that's when I was reading this about a week ago, the same day I had read a Twitter thread of somebody who said he thinks that Bob Odenkirk should be in every movie saying the name of the title of the movie in a very <laughs> Bob Odenkirk way. And when we get to the end of this section, Flag is showing off the secret passage where Thomas will be able to spy on his father. And when he gets there, you know, Thomas has to crawl up on the step and he's looking through these two holes and it's, it, it's, it, it's oddly colored, but he can see straight into his father's chamber that he knows so well. And his father chamber as a great hunter is decorated with all these heads of the different creatures he's killed and he sees them all. And then Flag says, do you realize where you are, what you're looking through? And it dawns on Thomas what he is seeing it through. And that's when Bob Odenkamp goes out and goes, the eyes of the dragon. Hey, you're looking through the eyes of the dragon, aren't you? <laughs> that's the title of this book. <laughs> so play the Bob Odenkirk game because it's quite fun. What? What you just told me is crazy. It sounds like a Mission Impossible. Go for it, Tom Cruise. Wait, so how many times would he pop up on the screen during Salem's Lot? Every time someone mentions the name of the town, he's like, and that's why they call it Salem's Lot. I think you just have to do it once to get the point across. You don't have to do it every time it's said, but like that first instance is when you can like, he just needs to say the name of the, the title of the movie. So. Mm. so in Wizard in Glass, 
when they reach the glass castle, <laughs> Bob Odenkirk shows up, and that's why they call it Wizard in Glass. I'm realizing as we do this that neither one of us has a very good Bob Odenkirk impression. We're just sort of yelling, which I guess is some of what Bob Odenkirk does, but it's a little more sarcastic than what we can do. Hmm. Anyhow, the Bob Odenkirk moment works a lot better for Eyes of the Dragon than it would have napkins. See, she's talking about the napkins. You should wipe your hands with them. Huh? Napkins. Huh? Napkins, eh? All right. Well, that's going to take us to the end of this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we cover The Eyes of the Dragon, sections 28 through 57. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. What is this, a canoe? Fun stuff is fun. Listen to me talk about fun stuff. Huh? Huh?